Hi, this is Harry from Murph, proud sponsors of the MHL Podding in the Corner podcast. Everyone here at Murph and the MHL Podding in the Corner podcast is hoping that Dave is having a fantastic Scottish vacation. Dave, we do suggest you be careful in the North Country. There are many remote cabins up there. As we all know, the season hasn't gone as well as hoped in Kennedale and Chris Howard Stokes could be there plotting against Mount Sunflower and may view you as a target of opportunity. Anyway, in honour of Dave's trip, here's a wonderful version of the Scottish National Anthem to start this week's show. So here we are. It's a uh, week, what, five and six review of the MPL. Um, but uh, before we get to that, Mike, uh, you want to, we have your, uh, your world of uh, beer segment. You got a new one for us, a special one in honor of Dave's trip. Exactly. To continue the theme, we'll, uh, we're going to speak about the, well, we're, we're going to talk specifically about a Scottish export ale, but more about Scottish beers in general. Uh, and also to continue the Dave theme, I'm drinking it out of my roundabout Willie Becker. So, uh, so the, the Scottish ales are slightly different than, uh, than English ales, as you might expect, uh, because there, that Scotch whiskey influence is imparted, uh, you know, the, the Scots were, or Scotland is a great, malt growing region and uh or barley uh growing region and they would you know malt the barley and oftentimes malt uh, the way they malt that barley is they heat it or kiln it over a peat fire and so it gives it that smokiness and and that's that classic malt forward smokiness you get in many scotch whiskeys and so the brewers up there, uh, you know, kind of took heed. They didn't use tip, or they didn't use as a standard uh, malt or, or a peat uh, fired whisk or peat fired malt, but they would use uh, or brew a lot of malt forward beers. The the hops that they would use were primarily just to balance out the malt to to neutralize it slightly. But the the flavors you're going to get from oh, first, we could start with the color. The colors you're going to get are anything from this like amber to deep amber to a dark brown. I think Jack, yours is more like a brownish, yeah, or, or that's maybe deep amber. And 
That's primarily uh, roasted barley and malt driven that, that gives it the color. Uh, the, the Scots have uh, three main beer or four main beer styles. There's Scottish light, which as you might expect is a light version. Uh, it's like, you know, two and a half to, to three and a half, I think percent typically uh, very easy drinking, uh, you know, uh, not as not as malt forward because there's not as much of a grain bill uh, because it's lower on the ABV. There's the Scottish Heavy, which you might think, oh, that's a that's a, going to be a big beer. Uh, it's really not. I think it's like three and a half to four and a half percent. And then there's the Scottish ex- Scottish Export, uh, which is what I have right now from Innocent Gun, which is a newer Scottish brewery. And the Scottish export is, uh, as it says, as described, it's the beer that they would export to other countries uh, to suit the flavors of either the English, uh, the mainlanders, or uh, the uh, the Americans. Kip, <laughs> sorry, I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt, but I just like if you had to guess, um, which type of beer would William Wallace drink if he was alive today? <laughs> He would drink, uh, which is the next beer I was going to go over, a Wee Heavy. So Wee Heavy is small heavy, so small big. Uh, and the Wee Heavy is the strongest of the Scottish-focused beers. And uh, I think like Founders, uh, Dirty Bastard is, is considered a Wee Heavy. And so it's bigger, much bolder, going to have more of those caramely, toffee-ish notes. And, uh, and, and it's going to, it's going to rock your world. But, uh, the thing with William Wallace and, and remind me, is that like, what are we, what era are we talking like 300 ish or something? <laughs> does that yeah. sound about right? At what uh, century would that be? Would that be the 15th, fourth? I don't know. I mean, the Braveheart movie came out in 20. <laughs> so it can't be that long. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was in the, it's, it's in the, the kind of medieval, not medieval, but uh, kind of the, the mid-century time, right? Uh, either way, they didn't, where I was going to go with it is they didn't use hops back then. They didn't start using uh, hops and beer until around the 14 or 1500s, and it became more prominent 17, 1800s. So he probably would drink a wee heavy, but it would have been balanced with uh, Groot, or juniper or heather or something else that was uh that was used to balance out the the strong malt character and so i don't know jack what you get on yours but the uh you know the 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 notes on this i would say are it's it's malt forward but not overly so it's not smoky it's just got a little bit of a caramel note maybe some bread crust it's it's that usual i mean it's like a brown ale caramely kind of kind of thing maybe a little bit of nuttiness yeah i mean there's no bitterness at all and more than likely you'll see like i i poured this right down the middle to get uh to get a nice uh head of foam worked up but over the course of time this will dissipate uh the the english and scots are known for having low carb beers so you know, we might carb for, for reference, we might carb our beers here to 2.55 uh, carbonation units and or volumes of carbonation. And uh, in England, it's going to be somewhere between like 1.3 and 1.6. So that's why a lot of those English beers and Scottish beers, they'll, you know, the, the foam will dissipate over time. You won't get as much head retention typically 
uh, or quite the level of lacing uh, unless you get like something, somebody who's doing it really, really well and is able to, to kind of pull all of that together. But the, uh, that's really the key. I, I would say that's the key on Scottish beers is malt forward, some smokiness, uh, from, you know, depending on if, if you're getting something of a higher uh, ABV and they lean on that, that Scotch whiskey background. I'm sorry, I, I missed that, Kip. What was the year? 1270. Okay, all right. Yeah, so I don't, I don't, they would not have been using hops at that time. So, uh, but still, I would picture him as a, as a wee heavy guy or a Russian imperial stout. He would get something imported up from, uh, or from England and, uh, and drink something super strong. That movie looked good for being that old. Those cameras were better than I thought back then. Yeah. What year did it come out? Oh, Braveheart now? I'm like late 1900s. Um, <laughs> when they were using hops? Yeah. So uh, any other question on Scottish ales? It's pretty simple. They don't. There's not a lot of different variety up there. It's known more for their for their whiskey, uh, and they lean more towards, uh, you know, they'll, they'll lean on British styles. Uh, but I did want to, you know, Dave, uh, pulled up the other, or showed us the other day that he was, when he was at one of the pubs, he was drinking Tenants Lager and Tenants is the most pop, Tenants Lager is the most popular beer in Scotland. And it, uh, reminded me of my, my beer can collection when I was a kid, when I was a teenager in the seventies, I'd like many collected beer cans and my parents would help me find these various beer cans. And my dad was absolutely thrilled when he came across the tenants lager penny series. <laughs> so you had penny in the morning, penny at night, penny in the afternoon, penny in the evening, penny at the end of the day. And, uh, the, this, these are all tenants lager cans. And I just looked on eBay, and I think I could get a whopping fourteen ninety six wow. for the five cent right there. <laughs> wow, full or right empty? Just, uh, those are empty. I just opened them from the bottom so we could preserve the pool tab. Oh, That's okay. what we did back then. Wow. And you notice in the upper left hand corner, at least my upper left, uh, the decidedly not penny Miss Old Frothing Slosh. Oh, okay. That is, that's a famous Pittsburgh brewing, uh, brand. This one here. Where, yeah, exactly. They, they would have, uh, heavier set women as their featured models, unlike tenants, which, uh, went in the other direction. Nice. Hopefully Dave gets a chance to, uh, see the segment in addition to listening to the segment. Yeah, um, yeah I, I forgot to hit record on the video. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I'll, I'll send them the picture. Penny looks more officially dressed at the nighttime one in the upper left than she does in any of the others. Well, you notice that she's drinking that, that tenant's lager at night, and then at the end of the day, she just is starting to get a little more. She's feeling it a little bit. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, Mike, as a like for true Scotch, it has to be made in Scotland, correct? I'm actually not a. Uh, I don't know much about Scotch whiskey. I would assume so that it's made with uh, Scotch uh, malt, Scottish malt. Yeah, I think Scottish, it's sort of like uh, bourbon is here, right? It's it's yeah, yeah. 
that scotch has to be. You can only call it scotch if it's made there, I think. And I believe it has to be a single malt. You can't use a blended, uh, a, you know, a blended malt profile. It has to be one single style of malt. And that's why scotch whiskeys are typically, I mean, they, they just have a distinctive uh, flavor profile to them when compared to uh, other whiskeys or bourbons. I don't know. I think that like, um, I mean, I don't know much about scotch, but I think Johnny Walker, the black and the red are blended scotches. They might just be blended oh, yeah. scotches. I don't think, I think the blue is a single malt. Um, but I, I kind of recall when we were there, we went to um, Glenfiddich and we did a tasting. And I think that some of the samples we took were blended and, and then some were single malt. I don't know. Chris, you probably know more about that. You're, you know scotch at all, Chris? Um, I think you. it can be blended. I thought that Irish whiskey had to be a uh, uh, single malt, but I thought that, uh, you know, I think you're right when it comes to Johnny Walker that a couple of them were blended. Yeah, I think so. All right. Yeah, it, it, uh, I was wrong on the blended. It's just as that uh, what defines scotch whiskey, and this is just a quick Google search, that has been distilled at a distillery in Scotland from water and malted barley to which only whole grains of other cereals may be added, all of which have been processed at the distillery into a mash converted at that distillery into a fermentable substrate only by indigenous enzyme systems. So where I was going with that is just, do you know if there's any Scotch ales that are just in Scotland or can only be brewed in Scotland or no? Uh, that, I don't know that they, there's not a, uh, what's what's the term, uh, like like a Trappist beer, it's it's like an a, a Appalachian, uh, is it not Appalachian, but there's like, there's a term for it where like a champagne has to be made in uh, Champagne, France, et cetera. So I don't think there's that type of distinction to it. Uh, there's only a few of those when it comes to when it comes to beer and Scottish beers. I do not believe have that distinction. Oh, nice Scottish yeah. ale. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Mm-hmm. So I thought um, as we get into the the soccer conversation, maybe we would uh, it maybe make some sense to talk a little bit about our Scottish players. I'm sure no one's done the research that I did yesterday um, in the heat of Southern California, but be interested to know how many Scottish players are in the MPL. We're pleased to bring you a new feature. Today, we'll be running down the top Scottish-born scorers in the Moon Premier League. Number one is Bobby de Cordova-Reed, appropriately from Bangers and Trash at 45 points. Number two is Scott McTomin A from Old Boys at 37.5 points. Number three is Andy Robertson from Kicksgrass at 35.5 points. Number four is Scott McKenna also from Bangers and Trash at 35 points. Number five is Che Adams from Man I Can at 30 points. Number six is John McGinn from Flop City at 26.75 points. Number seven is Kieran Tierney from Man I Can at 6.75 points. There are also four other Scottish players with MPL points that are not currently on rosters. You will have to do your own research to find them. <laughs> and Murph did not like kicks K-I-X. Just so. <laughs> Didn't know what to do with that. 
Yeah. I want to know how my guy, Alexis Mac Allister, is not a fucking Scotsman. I looked him up. He, he, was, the, I, he was the reason for me thinking of that. Because I'm like, oh, that guy's got to be from Scotland. And he's apparently he's from Argentinian. Yeah, Ar- or Brazil or Argentina or someplace like that. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I would not have expected Andrew Robertson to be from Scotland. No. That sounds like a good Irish or English name. Irish, yeah, it? English name to me, yeah. All right. Well, Kip, or not Kip, uh, Chris, you had promised, uh, we had promised you a new segment. So here's, uh, you know, he doesn't know, Chris doesn't know about this, but here comes the lead into Chris's new segment. Okay. We're pleased to announce a new feature. Here's Kennerdale Bigfoot's owner, Chris Howard Stokes, and his soon-to-be legendary drunken podcasting rant, I hate sunflowers and everything they represent. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That is the truth. Now, um, to be fair, I, uh, your your boy used to be my boy, Hermino. Uh, um, uh, yes, uh, uh, Bobby F. As as he likes to, as Jack likes to call him. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have, you know, I mean, I had him for two weeks. During those two weeks, I played him both weeks. Um, let me see if I got the math right. In game week one, he got me zero points. <laughs> week two, he got me zero points. So that's nil in, in English speak. Obviously, Jack played him the next three weeks, and in those three weeks, got you 58 points. You didn't plan <laughs> this week, but you got six more. So in the four weeks since you've owned him, 64 points to the two weeks I had him nil. <laughs> yeah, top ten score among four, all players, actually. I know, yeah, uh, but but not not in the first two weeks. First two weeks, <laughs> nil. I think what bothers me about your team more so than than him is is Solly March. I had Solly March all last season, and he never started. He comes out, he plays, he kicks ass. He's a good player, and he's not that old. He's 26, but they never played him, or they never started him, you know. And since you got him, they started him every game. And, and this mm-hmm. week he got you, I think, 11 points. And I just – I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking in my head, and obviously when we go to London, I'm going to, like, use a really bad British accent the entire time I'm over there. I'm going to pretend I'm like uh, Liam Gallagher from uh, Oasis. But I can just picture these fucking guys that, uh, you know – in Brighton, and I know one of them's just sitting there going, "Oi, oh, you, you, you ever, you ever listen to that podcast? That, 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 that uh, you know, Born in the Corner? Uh, oh no, I never heard of it. Yeah, it's brilliant, man. They uh, fucking taught me how to, you know, how to defibrillate someone. So you know, next time that you know, fucking, uh, uh, you know, fucking Bruno Fernandez dies on our pitch, I can resuscitate. Why the fuck would you want to resuscitate Bruno Fernandez, you motherfucker? You know, and so I'm sure they just, oh, you hear the, uh, you know, that guy, Mount, Mount Sunflower, he fucking picked up, uh, he fucking picked up Solly March. Solly March! You know, see, he picked up Solly March, he picked up fucking Solly March. Well, what does he know about uh, football more than we do? He knows a whole lot of shit. He, he, he does that Murph shit all the time, so why wouldn't he know more than we do? You know, what do we have to lose? We, we throw him in there. Other than that, we could just sit there and fuck off and we'll, we'll give, uh, you know, we'll give fucking, uh, 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 fucking Moab, you know, 
20 more negative points by uh, negative, you know, by own goals. You know, it's like this is the shit that happens. And you just sashay, like I say, I said last week, you sashay into these uh, situations where it's just like a guy who would never normally play. And you just, all of a sudden, uh, you pick him up and he's he, they plug him in every game and he's getting you, you know, 10, 15 points a game. That is my rant. I think that segment's a keeper. Okay. Good. I'm glad I, I got a keeper segment. Well done. I'll see if I can rant about uh, you know next week. I think I'm this sure week was I think this week was my best management week of of being in the league because I benched well, Firmino and Odegaard, and they combined for six. And the two guys I put in, uh, Solanke and Johnny, I think had twenty one or twenty two between them. So, and the fact is, you've had three weeks in a row where I think you've had. The most points, which is impressive considering how Flop City has had a tremendous few weeks. I think uh, two, three weeks ago, um, uh, you also had uh, Kicks Brass had a tremendous week. But you all three weeks, you've uh, caught up to them and surpassed them in uh, points. And that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and, and Pat couldn't. a lot of goals in the past that, three weeks. It doesn't look like Kicks Grass could stand the, the heat of the kitchen up there near the top. Yeah, no, I, so. I had a bad week on this one, that's for sure. Yes. It's, tough, it's tough being at the top of the tip. Oh, and by <laughs> the way, not that we inject baseball into this thing, but uh, Pat got the biggest break in like the 30-year Nesbitt history. He comes into the playoffs as the number one seed. Gets a bye in the first week and had probably had his worst week of the year and would have gotten bounced big time. I would have gotten bounced for sure. <laughs> I, I, I will say I had six players on, on the uh, IR so. um, this past week, so they, and they're all coming back this week, That's so hopefully uh, I can put on a better uh, better show. I got burned again by the uh, trade deadline, pickup deadline. Uh, I keep thinking it's a trade deadline, but it was a pickup deadline as well, so I couldn't restock any of my players that went on the IR. I think we should I think kick I got Dave by that last year. Yeah, we should kick Dave while he's down and in Scotland. What do you have? Fifty some points last week for low in the league. Kip, you certainly got yeah. the better of the Matty Cash deal. Uh, yeah, although I'm on the bottom looking up right now, so I'm not sure I have any good deal right now. <laughs> Jack, did you have you had an own goal as well? I have not had an own goal. Okay, but but Flop City has, so uh, he's had at least one, if I recall. So, I got two. Yeah, Kip has two. <laughs> <laughs> Kip is yeah, leading. Kip is leading that either. with two. Um, yeah, uh, Flop City, Imperial, and Old Boys have the other one so far. Mike, you ne- you avoided one, right? Because Lester, you didn't play yeah, him. I I made the change. Uh, so Kip and I had a beer at Hop Farm a week ago, and there I said, oh. Uh, Lester is playing Man U on Thursday. It is the only match on Thursday. Man U has not been picked up. I should pick up Man U and maybe just play Man U. And, you know, he kind of talked me into saying, I'll stick with Lester. They'll, they'll come around. And he didn't quite say that, but it was that was kind of the trend of the conversation. So I stuck with Lester Thursday. I said, fuck it on Saturday or Sunday, whenever they pl- both teams played. I said, I'm putting in Man U. And I only took a zero instead of a minus 22. Yeah, I think you were doing well until they brought Ronaldo in. And he went off sides like three times in yeah. the first 10 minutes he was out there. Yeah, and they, I got fucked on my corners. Uh, 
they were really low on corners that week. Uh, I actually screwed myself early Saturday. I saw that that, uh, what's his name, Carvalho from Liverpool was starting, and I said, I'll take that bird in the hand. I put him in instead of uh, Sinistera, and Carvalho got pulled and didn't get anything, and Sinistera played, had a goal and a red card, a yellow card, and got 16. So I left 16 on the on the table for a 7 a.m. move on Saturday. Well, that was funny because I, I picked him up and then – dropped him for Solanka right before the game, and then he scored early. I was like, ah, oh, shit, and then Solanka scored and make a, didn't make a difference. But anyway, so we have a Salah versus Jesus update. Mike always likes this one. <laughs> Salah versus Jesus, the ultimate battle. After match week six, it's Mike T and Salah with 46 points. Four Canada held steady at seventh in the table despite big weeks from someone McAllister and Marcus Rashford. Flop City had a big week moving from 4th to 2nd behind Ivan Tony and Bakayo Saka. Gabriel Jesus is now at 77 points after a rather Mohamed Salah-like week. <laughs> hey, I'm 4th in the league. Are you? Oh, yeah. Oh, well. He is. He what, moved what up is, on... Uh, what is Murph uh, now? What was that? Oh, okay. Monday. Sorry about that. I had two goals from McAllister, two goals from uh, oh. Rashford, and... One for at least one from somebody else. What is Murphy? Yeah, that was one hell of a day. You made 55 points up just in that day alone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you had a big day. And McAllister had a goal disallowed. And a beauty, too. Well, they're, they're giving him apparently all the PKs, so I'll take that. And uh, I'm going to kick Dave Moore while he's in Scotland. My Scottish sounding McAllister or Mac Allister. Uh, I said was a sleeper pick, and Dave poo-pooed it strongly. Said he's a guy that you could pick up any week, week in, week <laughs> out. He's got, I think, four, five goals now. Well, he takes the penalties, so you know you're going to get yeah. a goal maybe every couple at least a year from that. I had him last year. He was pretty good. That team's good. Agreed, and they're fun to watch. Their mid, their midfield, you know, led by Solly March, is fantastic. <laughs> And your guy too, uh, Pascal Gross. Yeah, yeah, both of them. But the yeah. other, the other midfielder. So McAllister scored, and then the other midfielder on their other sort of breakaway goal, two-on-one goal, was um, I forget. It was like more of the holding guy, but he got the ball and rushed it forward. They're yeah. they're serious. They're always a fun team to watch. I watched them a lot last year, and they just you know they they're always in it. They're always uh, you know like to be the spoiler for uh, some big teams. I like to watch them. I always I, I had Mope last year and he just pissed me off week after week and then I would I would watch uh, Kip's guy Trossard do well and I got you know they kind of frustrated me but um, but yeah no they're it's interesting that with their fourth overall so yeah. doing something right considering they lost a bunch of guys all right well we have a little hockey we need to start hockey right so I thought I would kick off uh, the first uh, announcement on hockey at least in terms of the podcast. Welcome to a new season of the Toronto No Hockey Transaction Tracker. TNH had an astonishing 67 transactions during the 2021-22 season. They are off to a quick start with a pre-draft trade with the floppers. Is this a sign that TNH will employ the same strategy or are the floppers just pissed that they've been supplanted as the busiest transaction team? Stay tuned to the MHL Podding in the Corner podcast for updates all season long. Also, 
If you are in the betting mood, Flaming Toad Bets, a new internet-based sports wagering site, has set the over-under on TNH at 61 and the floppers at 53. So there you go. Nice. Yep. What was the trade? It was uh, Landeskog and somebody else for a third-round pick. Goaltender. I think Demko was yeah, in there. Yeah, Kemper. No, I think it was Kemper. Oh, Kemper. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm assuming Floppers got the goaltender. Yeah, they got the players and gave up a third-round pick. Gotcha. Yeah, because uh, he talked to me whenever I was out yeah. there delivering the beer about picking up our backup goalie, Pat. And uh, so we, we, we probably lost out on, on that one if we wanted to move uh, whoever the hell that is we have as our backup. <laughs> oh, Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, Georgiev, yeah, because he, he just got traded. He went to Colorado, right? Oh, from the Rangers. Yeah, he was backing yeah. up your other Rangers goalie. Correct. So if you haven't voted, go vote, because uh, the, the the minor adjustment in scoring that I sent out, um, right now it's 4-0 to zero to increase the negative for a loss from negative 1 to negative 1.25 to sort of balance out some of the goalie scoring. It was four of the top 11 scorers under the projections were goalies, and that seemed a bit heavy. Wasn't Was Shesterkin number one? No, it was um, Vasilevsky. Oh, Shesterkin yeah. was one of the four. It was Vasilevsky and Shesterkin and two other guys. I forget which ones were projected to be that high. So, so now so it's Pat, three of the top 12 instead of four out of the 11 with this change. Pat, I say we both know just on principle. There you go. Leave it as is. That's fine. <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. Just just vote, just, right? Just exercise your right to vote. You can't complain if you don't. Do we only have one vote for our team? You only have yeah. one vote, yeah. Okay. Can't, you can't pitch if you, you don't. Can vote. You can vote as your heart desires, Mike. All right, Kip, are we ready for Dr. Hogg? Uh, sure. Yeah, we can do it. I'm going to remember um, to record it before you start here. Hold on a second. Recording in progress. Welcome to Trust Me. This won't hurt at all with Dr. Hogg. This week, Dr. Hogg will teach us how to drain an abscess along the jawline. <laughs> he, he seems a little sluggish. He did seem slow. Maybe the power is starting. They haven't turned it off, but they've slowed it down maybe a little bit. Chris has a question already. What's going on? I'm just wondering why you're, uh, you were talking about an abscess where? Because you were talking all week long about uh, boils on someone's ass. And now you're talking about an abscess on someone's face. I just wondered why you chose to move north. Um, put your hand down. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just learned to put my hand up, remember? So uh, <laughs> you're looking at books last week because I couldn't figure this shit out. So, Well, because yeah. the YouTube videos on lancing a bull on your ass was all like shaded out and blurred. So I didn't think it would give you a good picture of, of what I do pretty much every day in the <laughs> year. So, so I picked, I picked something that was a little bit less, um, uh, I guess censored. So and I, I don't mean to, I just wanted to add on to a question, like seriously, as far as like an ER doctor, like Lansing boils, is that a thing? Like do people just go, Oh, I got a boil wherever it be it needs lancing or do they just think it's a goiter or, you know, is it something that you do a lot in all seriousness or. 
Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, again, why do people go to the ER for, you know, a pimple or a boil or something like that? Um, it's probably because it's, in my line of work, shit runs downhill. So I'm always like the the point of, of you know, where do people go when nobody else wants to do what you, you know, can be done? So um, like if you call your doctor and said, Hey, you know, I got this big boil. Um, they're like, I don't want to do it. You know, go, <laughs> go to the ER um, type of thing. Or you go to, they say, go to urgent care and urgent care looks at it and goes, Oh, that's big one. I need, you got to go to the ER for that. So I, I, you know, we're kind of like the, the point of last um, treatment. So, uh, you know, I probably do a, probably almost every shift I probably lance a boil somewhere on somebody's body. Um, Did not expect that. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's pretty common. Um, You know, a lot of, I'm I'm fortunate to work in some places where I have a lot of like um, nurse practitioners and physician assistants and they kind of do a lot of the lower acuity kind of patients and procedures. So um, they, typically we'll pick up a lot of these boils and do them for me again shit runs downhill so i'm kind of ahead of the nurse practitioners and the physician assistants so i can tell them you know go you go you go do that boil for me that'd be great thank you so much um but it, when i'm in a solo place where i don't have an app or a, a physician assistant i typically have to do them myself so um yeah Yes, go ahead, Jack. Is there a difference between a boil and an abscess? And that's going to be my question. Yeah, I mean, it, to be honest with you, in the in the grand scheme of things, no difference in how I try to manage them, especially in the ER. Now, the so uh, like uh, a boil, an abscess, a cyst, um, an infected cyst, uh, a pimple, whitehead, you know, whatever kind of thing. Um, those are all pretty much the same. It's usually a, a pus-filled cavity or, um, you know, if a cyst, a cyst actually has a wall to it. So, like, a, it forms like a like a wall, and then the there's, a, there's fluid inside that wall. So, a cyst cavity, typically you want to try to remove the core of that cyst out of there, um, which is pretty much more involved than we do in the ER. So, we're pretty much just lancing the boils whether it's a cyst or an abscess or whatever, just to get the pus out. And that sort of um, improves the healing process. So um, the whole, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, just on that same theme, uh, same with the sty. So is a sty just a, you know, a glorified pimple? So a sty is, is on basically the eyelid margin. So, you know, you talk about a sty on your eye kind of thing. So it's, is that why they named it that way, just so it would rhyme? I think so. I think probably. I mean, it's good to rhyme, but <laughs> for doctors, yeah, yeah. I mean, it keeps it simple. You remember things that way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I actually just had a guy the, the other day with a sty, and you know, th- that it depends. If they're really big, sometimes they have to be lanced. But you know, in the ER you know, we pretty much refer them on to like an, uh, again, an ophthalmologist, somebody who's going to be able to do it. Um, that has done it more often and stuff, especially around the eye area. So typically it has to be pretty big for us to lance a sty. 
usually they get better with just some antibiotic ointment and usually don't have to land some. Um, but the whole process of this topic came to me when I'm watching, you know, so it was in the ER, what, on Saturday? Yeah, in the ER on Saturday. And um, I had a, a choice between starting Brentford or Brighton. <laughs> and um, I'm thinking, you know what? Brighton has the better matchup. Let me go ahead and put them in. And, of course, as I'm about ready to lance this big boil, I get an own goal. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know what? Actually, lancing this boil is going to be more fun than just watching what I just saw. <laughs> that was such a great reaction, too. It was so oh fast. It was so painful. Um, I mean, that negative 20 is just a killer. <laughs> but it is what it is. And I think, you know, it's a long season. It's probably going to come around, hopefully, yeah. to more of you guys than me. But um, Pat Boston has a question. Yes, Pat. Um, Dr. Hogg, do you know Dr. Pimple Popper? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know her personally. Um, I have seen a couple of her shows. Um, and uh, I, I am not a big fan of pus. I, I, it's one of probably my least favorite things to do, where I think she kind of like really lives for this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I, I'd rather not do it. Some of them are like the most horrible stink you can ever think of so just think of like the worst smell ever and that's what it is and yeah Oops. it all depends on on where it's where it's located at but um wasn't her name dr Racides or something like that yeah i don't know for sure yeah I don't know. we we do can have we make, can we make a tv show out of what you do at the r every day <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that would be probably pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, but George, we, do have, uh, we go ahead. George Clooney would be a great lead for that. Yeah, he would. No, yep, Noah Wiley's, uh, yeah, and, yeah, if he's still available, yeah, Anthony Green with uh, Goose, Goose could come <laughs> back. Is all right, should we try the uh video, Dr. Hogg, and see if everybody can hear it? Yeah, I think it's a good time to. Show the video. Okay. Can you, you guys can see it. Hopefully you well, can hear a it. A legal disclaimer. Hold your, yeah, hold your thumbs up if you can hear it. So this patient's coming in today for an acute swelling underneath his chin. Um, so this was developed, he had a little bit of a pimple that was there, and this sort of got quite a bit bigger very quickly. So typically, from an infectious standpoint, we usually look at either staph aureus or group A strep, which will cause this to happen. And the question becomes here, does he have a little cyst underneath that got infected, or is it pure abscess? So the difference here being abscesses don't have a cavity, but a cyst will. So the other complication, which I've mentioned before, is... Do we think the patient's a homeless guy, given his lack of shaven <laughs> situation, Kip, or...? Um, I mean... It's it's funny because I don't think, you know, an abscess can occur pretty much on anybody. I don't think it's specifically for poor hygiene and stuff like that. I mean, they're, um, I you know, I've seen, I've drained abscesses on, on all kinds of people. So he said it's under his but, chin, but what do we think this is? Over here on the far right, uh, I need a little Gray's Anatomy I mean, for that. I mean, typically you do get some swelling and may get some lymph nodes that get swollen as well. So mm. you may get a lot of swelling in other places. <laughs> this is all infectious. So this affects our anesthetic to a certain extent. So what we've done is 
He has a circumferential block through here, and then he has some anesthetic over here, which is why there's some blanching through here. So we'll hope to see if we can minimize that as much as possible. He may still feel some pressure, and that's unfortunately because the infection is impairing how well the anesthetic works. Now, how does that feel? Is that not too bad? Not too bad. I don't feel it, yeah. Okay, good. So for these, because we're puncturing it, I use number 11 blade. Now, and all I would tell you is this one's not too bad. It's below the angle of the jaw. But I would just tell you, keep in mind, again, the lines that we're looking at here, because I want to have a minimal scarring, I usually follow the angle of the jaw, but I want to be beneath it. Oh. Oh, that's... That's my life. Sorry about the side. I mean, you should always have a bunch of four by fours because this will want to ooze. Oh my gosh. Oh. <laughs> How long does this oh. go on? <laughs> it's gone, though. The lump is gone. Yeah. So you do it until you see just blood? Yeah, just kind of like uh, okay, try to get mm -hmm. most of that pus out of there. And as you'll see here, he'll try to core it out like an and break up all the little loculations and stuff. Like sometimes so these big debate here can be, you know, a lot one of big cavity. Sometimes it's like little biotic. small ones. The studies actually show coalesce. that if we drain it, just the release of the actual um, infected material is enough that this clears. And you don't always need an antibiotic. And in fact, the majority of the time, you actually won't. So Chris, that little knife you use so probably can work for you. The other issue becoming here is, do we pack these or not? In what manner? Oh, in the murder time. I said before, if the times that I pack, is if do. I don't have, you okay oh. there, it's not too bad? Mm -mm. If I can't break down loculations well or it's bleeding excessively. Well, Lance and boils instead of killing people? I can, however. I, I, I think I'd, I'd choose I'll the... i try and the, get around without know, actually uh, packing these. Because <laughs> packing doesn't... I have a new respect for you, Doc Hogg. It's uncomfortable for the patient. <laughs> So yeah, if you use a scalpel, case, the you're aesthetic's like not death bad. by million cuts. I'm going to see if we can get away without packing. So in those cases, and especially when we're dealing with pure abscess, which is what this looks like, I want to make sure I try and irrigate it. Because we're, so this is just normal saline. Be, I'd be sensitive to the fact that this stuff, it can really be quite pungent, so be aware from the patient's perspective that if you can minimize how much you're spraying them with it, that would be good. Pungent's a nice word. <laughs> it's, a little, it's not quite strong enough. <laughs> yeah. So what is, what is the pus? Like, what does pus consist of? I'm going to use the um it's it's so it's all the little cells and stuff that go to fight off the infection so these little white cells and stuff and all these um kind of anti-inflammatory cells and then also the little bacteria that's in there um so it just creates this nice little milky pungent liquid um and like I said, this this area probably wouldn't typically smell horribly bad, but you know, if you can think of different areas of the body that probably will put off a, a lot stronger smell. Um, so, yes. So is is it like the pus is what your body 
generates to fight off the infection of the whatever is causing it. So, it, but it doesn't have anywhere to go. Is that sort of what happens? Yeah, like your, your body sort of produces this this response to the infection. So they send all this all these cells and stuff to it. So, yeah, they get to a point where they just kind of build up. And there's no place for them to go. And uh, or like I said, this is typically for this. It was probably like an ingrown hair um, that started the infection. So a little pimple started growing, and then it just gets so big that you know you're just better off trying to drain it. Um, you know, eventually, if that guy let it go and stuff, it may have kind of popped on its own. Um, but for for him on the face and stuff like that, probably would have been better just to to get it lanced. So do you get one of these a day, one of these a week? What's the? Uh, I say you know pretty much um, close to one a day, hmm. you know somewhere on the body. Um, Mikey. So, uh, Doctor Hogg, when I was in high school, I had a sty on my eye that was pretty large, and it was—I want to say—it was above my left eye. It was pretty large, and it was like right along the eyebrow line. And it was filled with, I guess, somewhat thicker posture material to the point where the doctor tried to remove it just by doing kind of a slice and it wouldn't come out because it was so thick. So he had to kind of cut a little triangle and remove like or, or open it up more. So the opening was big enough that he could then, you know, squeeze out that thicker stuff. Is there... Is, does that just happen sometime, sometimes, or uh, is that a matter of where on the body these things occur, or a little yeah. column, a little combi? Yeah, I mean, technically, that that wouldn't be called a sty, just because it's not a sty is really only on the eyelid margin. Okay. Um, so you probably had what's like a sebaceous cyst, um, and a sebaceous cyst is more of like a like a solid, more gel kind of thing. So it probably wasn't technically infected like a boil because um, a boil obviously will have like, um, you know, like a fluid that will come out like that pus that we saw in the video. But, um, you know, there's a couple other types of cysts that if you see Dr. Pipple Popper, if you look at some of those shows where sometimes it comes out like cottage cheese kind of stuff and it's a little different kind of uh, – uh, texture and and smell and it probably tastes different too. But <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So um, uh, uh, full disclosure, I thought you were talking about the Seinfeld episode where the the uh, skin doctor he was calling Doctor Pimple Popper. <laughs> Should we finish up the video? Yeah, I think it's it's pretty much done. He's just gonna. Um, okay. uh, yeah, I don't think how does he repair it? Let's see how, I guess we see the end where he repairs um, it. Let me just see if I can clean that out. Just so there's a more. couple oh, things. You is can, he can, he's Canadian, isn't he? Listen to, let's go back a little bit and just listen to that for a second. And just see if I can clean that out just a little bit. Ooh, more. He said, ooh. <laughs> Good call. You okay? Call. Mm -hmm. Headphones. So, so there's this a couple things you can do after you have this, you drain this abscess. You could put packing in it. This can be too uncomfortable for the um, and, and he wanted to avoid that. I think I remember him saying. Yeah, I think yeah, that's the most I felt for sure. Probably better to if you can avoid the packing, it's always good. But sometimes you have to put packing in there. 
Um, if it's a, like a really big cavity, sometimes you put that in there, let it that so the the little piece of gauze packing that's in there will kind of like help to to continue to drain that and keep that pocket open. Because if it closes up real quickly, you may get the same situation where it fills up with fluid and pus again, and then you're kind of back to square one. But that's uh, abscess 101. And, so and again, if, it's, if you don't pack it, you just put like a butterfly on it, or do you actually stitch it? Or because that was a pretty deep hole. No, we did, yeah, you did leave them open. Don't uh, don't hmm. stitch them or cover them. Um, you know, just let them let them heal from the inside out, so to speak. So is the I'm sorry. So is the is the, is it the underlying skin is has it not been punctured? I'm trying to figure that out because. No, I guess it doesn't make any sense. It, it bulbs out, and then you stick the thing in there. So how long? Oh, okay. Just, I guess the packing when you on a big enough one is what prevents it from just keeping bleeding. It just look like it would still still keep bleeding there. Yeah, it's, I mean, some of them do lose a little bit for you know several hours and stuff, but typically that bleeding okay. will stop a little bit. Okay. But, Mikey, have have you ever had one that like weighed in the pounds? Mm, no, I, you know when they start to get really really big, that's when we sort of punt to the surgeons. Oh, okay, uh, gotcha. So we'll just kind of say, you know what, this one's pretty big. Sometimes they have to go to the operating room to get those drained. Um, we typically kind of do some of the smaller ones that you can just do at the bedside. Um, you know, most of them we do under just local anesthetic. Like we'll give them like the, in this case, he, he gave them some anesthetic right in the skin. And um, we do that. Sometimes we have to do is give them the patient a little conscious sedation where they kind of begin put them in twilight. Because there's some abscesses that are, you know, like in the female regions, um, you know, they, they're they pretty sensitive there. Sometimes you have to kind of put them out just to, to be able to, to even give them the local anesthetic, it's it's pretty painful. Do you have any that are like projectile pussers where you when you lance it it like shoots out? Uh you, you yeah, you I mean you you'll make the mistake once <laughs> by by standing in front of it and popping it. Um and it goes all over you. So <laughs> you, you do make the mistake typically once, but um never happen again. So yeah, typically it's one of these kind of reach over and you kind of get out of the line of sight and <laughs> line of fire. So is that why you kind of use a blade to make a bigger incision rather than like a pinprick kind of a thing that would have pressure behind it when it opens? Cause it was kind of, he had like a little exacto knife looking thing to slice it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, that's the scalpel. It's the 11 blade and it has like a little pointed um, part to it. Um, we sometimes do aspirate abscesses sometimes if they're in a certain location and they're really sometimes big, like on the elbow, you might have this big collection of fluid there. We'll stick a needle in that and drain that out. Um, but if it's an abscess and it's really infected, a lot of pus, you're probably going to have to make an incision just to make it so that opening's big enough to allow that pus to come out. If you make a, like a little tiny puncture, you're not going to, it's, it's not going to come out very well. Um, All right. Pat, oh, Pat's got uh, it seems like yeah, it seems like it would take a long time for it to get that big. Like so, 
did he just wait and wait and wait and then all of a sudden he said, oh, I better go to the ER? Or like at what point does it get painful enough or or whatever to go get it fixed? Yeah, I would think most people come in because of the pain. It's creating a lot of pain and discomfort. Uh, certainly on the face, it may be sort of disfiguring. You don't want to show up to work with the big big thing of pus there. So people are like, you know, I got to get this fixed soon. So location, um, I've had a lot of people, you know, have like a an abscess in the private area and they're like really kind of, you know, nervous or scared or scared, yeah. embarrassed to come get it checked out, especially, you know, some younger, younger patients are like, I'm just kind of let it go for a while. And sometimes it can be to the point where it could be something life-threatening. There are certain types of necrotizing fasciitis uh, type problems where this infection spreads throughout the skin underneath the skin and kind of um, goes into the muscles. Um, and that can be a life-threatening infection, um, if not surgically debrided right away. All but right. the stuff, the boils that I do are, are typically not life-threatening. All right, cool. So, Kip, when, when oh. we travel to London, I'm sorry, I should have written When we travel to London, which medical uh, equipment will you take with you? Is it, you know, <laughs> will you take the, the scalpel, the defibrillator, the, uh, the, the thing for the, for the trach? Like, which... Which, what do you think is going to happen to Chris that you really need to have something on hand? There's no fucking way I'm traveling with a scalpel anywhere near Chris. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Enough said. Question answer. Well, so if you go with the odds, most likely Chris is going to have a boil. Um, <laughs> so I'll probably bring a scalpel um, and I'll really? probably check that in my bag. Can a boil get caused by like this sort of woolly fabric thing sort of intermittently hitting you in the face over and over and over again? Is that what can cause a boil? Um, certainly that kind of trauma could lead towards an infection. So I, that trauma is working its way through me right now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Excellent job, Kip. Thank you. All right. My pleasure. Thank you, Kip. Recording stopped. (laughs) We have any other uh, soccer business or anything else we want to talk about? The only thing I was talking with Mike the other day about, you know, the negative 20, and obviously it's hurting me this year, but I thought that maybe one option is to look at spreading that negative 20 between the player who actually scores the own goal and the team. Um, Just to kind of, because the player gets no repercussion whatsoever for his stupid ass move <laughs> um, even if it's just a deflection wrong place wrong time yeah yeah, yeah we so, t- i mean yeah you could you could definitely give negative something for the own goal on the player we could definitely do that next season i think we got to keep it this way this year just to see if you get the five cost you 100 points right. <laughs> uh, yeah we're already into it, so that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and I think I had a question, Jack, at, actually, when we were talking about that. Is the scoring this year for MPL the same exact as last year, or have we are we breaking it up into months or, or periods? No, or same, as, same as last year, total score all the way through. Didn't we talk about changing that? Did that just kind of die on the vine kind of thing? Yeah, the old boys brought up um, – an idea of like doing it for like a half or something like that. And then have like a first half and a second half. I couldn't, 
I looked at it, I and I couldn't really see how to make it work. Um, I mean, we could, you can do like we do in hockey and and change it to head to head, um, or you can do it like rotisserie and be, you know, give points based on who finishes where at a category, or do it like we're doing with points per whatever the scoring category is and just keep adding them. But it wasn't, I couldn't see a way to to do like a partial season total scoring and then start over. Yeah. I, uh, I hear what you're saying there. I, I, I thought we had talked about it a couple of times, but because there was a, a sentiment about, you know, Hey, cause once you get kind of halfway through or even sometimes less than, or based on the first year, less than halfway through, you kind of know where your team is and, and you kind of know if you have life or not. And, uh, and so if it was, if we could do something, whether it's by period or even if it's a very small, you know, uh, you know, reward, but something where it keeps people in, it's like, Hey, at least I could earn a couple bucks or show some res- or earn some respect if I won this period. Oh, we could definitely, if we wanted to give like a, a weekly money thing, like we do in hockey for a high score, we could definitely do that. That's easy. That's kind of what, or because we all, we, all of these are by periods, and it's how many periods? Because it's not every, it's not just weeks. It's, it's thirty-eight periods. It, it's thirty-eight games. So is it thirty-eight periods? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. Because it's thirty-eight games, and we try to do it where everybody basically plays one game the, per period, even though sometimes. Yeah. That, the one of the issues we'd have there is because we decided to keep it at fifty bucks. The the weekly money, unless we raise the fee over thirty-eight weeks, would be really small if we still wanted yeah. to give money for where you finished. Cause in hockey we do hundred bucks. And I think, um, cause we're not having to pay for the website this year. I'm doing $40, uh, pay period 30 for top and 10 for second. So that's $800 of the, of the 1600 goes to weekly money. So we do half. So, but at 50 bucks for 10, that's like 250 bucks over 38 weeks is whatever that math is, but it's not very much. Yeah. So and, if we raise the fee, obviously, that's fine. Obviously, no need to do it this year, yeah. but uh, even just something to track, like something that, you know, it's just more fodder and, and you know, folks who uh, who finished down in the bottom of the pack, you know, if they said, hey, at least I won three weeks worth, you know, or three periods worth, I, I, was, I was fine with that, you know. Yeah. We can do whatever we want, right? So I don't, I know I'm not going to be available this coming Sunday, or I don't think I'm going to be available this coming Sunday, and I won't be available Sunday the 18th, but the next Sunday that I am available, uh, guaranteed the beer that we will feature will be uh, a comparison of the traditional Oktoberfest Meritzen style and the fest beer style that has kind of taken over mm. in more recent decades. Okay. So everybody plan for Oktoberfest beer. Okay. So I'm going to hit stop.